All right, so Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. So we had, I know, I was thinking about this chapter, and I, I thought we finished it, but if we did finish it, we didn't finish it with uh, detail. And, you know, kind of as thorough as I wanted to go into. We may have read it just to read it all the way through, but there are some aspects of here that we really need to, to stop and look at when it comes to building Christian character. And, you know, how often we need to, you know, many times we read the Bible and, and again, we grow so many blessings when uh, we read the doctrine of justification by faith and security of the saints and uh, God's redeeming love, his purpose in election, his sovereignty, and just what an assurance and what uh, a peace it brings to us to read these things over and over, read the story of Jesus and his love. But then there's also the practical aspect of it is how do we live this life now that we're saved? Uh, so Brother Ron, you know, uh, had the thief that was on the cross lived, well, he would have had to learn to live as a Christian, you know. So uh, there would, there's lessons to us. There's lessons that the Lord wants us to know and to live by and to be led by. And it's not just some arbitrary purpose. God has a purpose in it. It's joy in our life. Uh, I've always said this, that uh, true freedom is being who you are designed to be. Uh, who you are designed to be is freedom in life. And so we weren't designed to be unthankful to the Lord or worship idols or worship other graven images or worship ourselves. We were designed to worship the Lord and, so, and to be pleasing to him as his possession. And so as we look in chapter 12, he really starts this. As we divide Romans into two, the doctrinal and the practical, it's not as easy as that. There is some overlap between each other. But last time we had looked at uh, verses 1 through, I believe it was 9, and probably went on a little bit more. Uh, but we saw before Paul had summoned the church, he's speaking to the church there at Rome, to be completely devoted to God and to be renewed in their thinking so that the will of God becomes a reality in your life. So being renewed by our thinking, not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind to where God's will is a reality in your life. That was the prior exhortation in chapter 12. But in the next two parts of chapter 12, we're going to see two sections in verses 9 through 16 we have a general exhortation towards love and goodness. And then the final section, verses 17 through 21, is we are instructed not to live in a way of retaliation toward our enemies. So as we start in verse 9, I know some of this we went over a little bit, so we will overlap between last week, but we really need to start and establish the love in verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. One of the things that we, as God's people, as people who have been born again and were saved, we need to see the preeminence of love. The core of the law of Christ is love. That love is repeated, it's emphatic. It's over and over, Paul repeats it. Uh, in the 11 o'clock message, we're going to talk about love. 
in this way. But over and over in the New Testament, we see the preeminence of love. Think about uh, 1 Corinthians 13, when Paul says, Though I have all faith that I could move a mountain, if I have not charity or if I have not love, I am nothing. So the, the weight that we need to see over and over. Now, if you were just to say, okay, so as far as building Christian character, of who the Lord is shaping me to be, take the subject love and go throughout the New Testament and it's just going to bombard you over and over how important this subject really is. It is at the core of the law of Christ. A new commandment I give unto you, that thou shalt love the Lord thy, uh, with all thy soul, all thy heart, all thy might, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And then how do we serve? We serve in the fruits of the Spirit, not the letter of the law. So everything's fueled by love. That love fulfills the law. And so we get this shift, right? We've, we've went from the Old Testament where it was do or die, the law that was given at Mount Sinai, and then we shift into this, and they ask Jesus what the greatest commandment is. And the greatest only commandment is love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy might, and love thy neighbor as thyself. So it all is hinged on love, and, I, and really Paul pops it out to us, study Not just here, but in everywhere else. We need to focus on it. Um, many times you, you go home and you're like, well, you know, do this, do that. Uh, I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got to, uh, you know, turn my back on this and, and read the Bible more. Read the, but if you're missing love, if you're missing that relationship with the Lord, you're missing it all. You re that relationship needs to be there. We, we need to check what our motives are. Am, am, am I enjoying myself? Am I enjoying being in prayer? Am I enjoying going to my Father? Am I enjoying reading the words that he has for me? Even though they sting at times, is there not just an enjoyment, but a love, a kinship? Now, seeing this, and like I said, it's all throughout the scriptures, the first emphasis, now that, now that he says in verse 9, let love be without dissimulation, and we talked about that word, that means without false motions. A dis means not, and simulation is false motion. It's an emulation. So without false motions. So what is he really saying here? Well, first of all, not only is love important and preeminent, because it's so important, it needs to be sincere. It can't be pretend love. It can't just be something from your mouth that you just, I love you, I love you, and, and just hope it's true. Uh, are you really sincerely, and I know we all need to work on that, uh, because what's our flesh? What is the tendency of our flesh to do? To love ourselves right? To be selfish. How does this affect me? Uh, you know, I can be loving this person and doing something for them, or I could do something for myself, because I need, to, I need this, I need that. And, um, so the love that which we have, it needs to be without the false pretense, the false motions. And abhor, that word is interesting. We talked last week about it. And it is a detest. It's a vehement detest. It's a hatred that we abhor that which is evil. It actually has horror. It's like a, watching a horror movie. 
or you being chased in the dark room by, by you know, the, the boogeyman or whatever. It's a pouring. You're running from it, and then you are cleaving to that, which is good. And honestly, if you let your love be without dissimulation, the effect is going to be abhorring that which is evil and cleaving to that which is good. And you notice that word cleave is the same word that a husband cleaves to his wife. We cleave to good. And so that is who we are. And in verse 10, when he says, Be kindly, affectionate one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. Now, in verse 10, Paul goes on to talk about this type of family love. He's introducing this attitude of family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Actually, our brotherhood and sisterhood and us, our family, is to be tighter than our biological family because we're all united in Christ. And that's where to have a tighter bond with one another than even our own brothers and sisters. And that's what he says in verse 10, be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love, that word is Philadelphos, in honor preferring one another. Now this honor preferring one another is kind of similar to Philippians 2.3 where he's talking about to with all lowliness of mind esteem others better than yourselves um, think honorably it says here in verse 10 that in honor in honor and my honor in honoring you in honor prefer one to another that means that we speak honorably of each other even behind their backs, yes. We speak honorably. There's no backbiting. There's no gossip. There's no sewing circles. That we should keep our distance from those things. And if you are going to speak about someone, speak honorably. Speak honorably. Preferring others better than yourself. So, you know, that's another thing that we see. Love speaketh no evil. Does it? Love speaketh no evil. So if we are to understand love and the importance and the weight of being sincere in love, then we shouldn't be backbiting or whispering or going behind people's backs and talking dishonorably about uh, God's people. And that's who he's talking to, people in the church. People in the church. So that we are, in verse 10, preferring one another... Verse 11 is not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Now, that not slothful in business, he's not talking about your, your job. He's not talking about worldly business. He's talking about the business of serving the Lord. It's all together there in verse 11. It is your service to God. It is you are presenting your, your bodies, living sacrifices in verse 1. Verse 2, remember how we're presenting ourselves. Uh, we are bringing, Lord, I'm ready. Use me. I want to serve you. And so let's not be lazy in what God has given us to do. That's what it means, not slothful in business. Now, it does teach that we, you know, we're not going to be uh, 
in your regular business, in your job, the Lord's given you a career or craft or skill to do things. Certainly we're not to be doing things slothfully or lazily, but we're, we're to be doing them as if we were doing them unto the Lord. And he talks about that in the master-servant uh, relationship, that the servant is to serve as if he's serving unto the Lord. So we know that, that there's principles of that in other places of the Word of God. But here he is talking about spiritual business, our reasonable service to God. And being fervent in the spirit means boiling, seething. It's at a temperature, it's a hot temperature. And we are to be in the spirit, serving the Lord. You know, and this is interesting. That we know things, we know things generally and topically as God's people. You've been in the Word of God long enough and in church long enough. You're going to just know things. But think about the perspective of seeing it in the Word of God and it's established in the Word of God. You know, it, it's not just taking somebody's word for it or a preacher's word for it, but we're studying the Word of God and we see that it agrees with what they're saying. That here Paul is saying, what are we doing in the Spirit? We're serving the Lord. What does that mean? We don't serve the Lord not in the Spirit. But we are hot in the Spirit. We're serving the, the Lord in the Spirit. Now, how many churches today are serving not in the Spirit? They're doing things according to their flesh or their intellect or their strategies. I mean, many of these churches, these big churches, have, have business blueprints and strategies and uh, competition and, and things like that, but they're not doing any of those things, exercising anything in the Spirit. But how are we supposed to serve the Lord? In the Spirit. And that's what he says here. So the command to serve is appropriately placed after being fervent in the Spirit. So the baseline for Christian living, not just serving, but remember we also tied in that word serving with business. It's your business. It's your occupation. And that's what it says, and not slothful in our business, not slothful in our service, not slothful in our Christian life, or lazy in our Christian life. But the Christian is to live in a baseline to be lived under the Lordship of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Are we directed? Are we guided? Are we, you know, serving the Lord in verse 11? according to the truth of the Word of God. So verse 12, you know, a lot of people want to do things their way. Cain wanted to do things his way, didn't he? So, yes, there is a right way to have church. Yes, there is a right way to start a church. There is a right way to fund a church and to have missions and to have baptisms and Lord's Supper and everything involved with the, the Word of God. And that's where we need to be honest with our hearts is, I, do I want to follow what the Word of God says? Where's the authority? The Lord has a church on earth. He has multiple churches on earth. They exist. But unfortunately, they exist among false churches all over. So how can you tell the difference? It's not how you feel after you've gone to a church service. Otherwise, you're you could be basing it off emotionalism or funny jokes or your buddy goes here or your kids love the, 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 the coloring and the crowns and things. We don't base things 
well, that doesn't tell me that that's the Lord's church or not, because you can get that anywhere. You can get that at a preschool. So what tells me what is the Lord's church? It's the word of God. So we study these things. And uh, in the 11 o'clock service, we're going to talk about how he says, test the spirits. Rather, these things be true. Not only are we testing what the spirit of the matter is saying, but the person is saying. Test it with what? The word of God. Test it with the word of God. And uh, so we see here that Paul is straight up saying, if you're in the church, you serve in the spirit. You're not lazy in the spirit. You serve in the spirit. And verse 12, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. And I love this run that he does here in verse 12 because they're all kind of hinging off each other. Now let's reread this with this in mind. Rejoicing in hope when we're patient in tribulation while we're continuing instant in prayer. <laughs> That's something. We, are, we rejoice in hope when we're patient in tribulation. And when are we patient in tribulation? When we're continually in prayer, in that tribulation. And so those are beautiful. It's, it's all, 12, um, all of those are kind of connected. But patient in tribulation means endurance in tribulation. The things which try our faith. Uh, verse 13, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. I believe we talked about this this verse, it was very practical, especially during uh, this time frame that they were in, they, uh, strangers would come into uh, wherever they were and they, didn't, they were displaced or they didn't have a home. Um, verse 14, bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. And I like what John Gill has to say about this. And if you think about what it is to be a Christian, it is our lot in life to be persecuted by the world or evil spoken against. As God's people, as Christians, it is our lot in life to be persecuted by the world or spoken evil against. That's just what happens. That's, that's what happens. You can't get around it. You need to predict it. You can all come on. And... Uh, you need to see here, and the one of the things that which we do, y'all are pretty. Uh, one of the day um, in verse fifteen, we rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. So when we bless them which persecute you, we are also praying that God would show them their evil and give them repentance. You know, it's, everything's against our flesh. When somebody's evil speaking against you, you know they don't understand. How many times do we see this over and over uh, as we have went through Acts? How many false perceptions they had of Paul, Barnabas, Peter, uh, the apostles, the church itself? How about today? How many false perceptions are out there today of the Lord's churches and who we are? And they will falsely accuse us of being bigots and being hateful and this and or they will and they'll also seek to persecute the Lord's people rather it's through legislation 
laws, uh, groups, you know, civil, un, uh, civil liberties groups and things like that, and in the schools, and uh, even what we see inundated on TVs, we're just being assaulted, left and right. But that shouldn't surprise us. That's our lot in life. But instead of getting angry to the point of wanting revenge and retaliation, we bless them. We pray for them. And, you know, that would be, how hard would that be? Think about how hard it was for people to receive Saul of Tarsus after he was saved. This man could have very easily killed your family, killed family members in your family for being a Christian. And then turns around, he's saved, and now you are to love him. Un, with unfeigned love without false emotions. With the true, sincere love. That, that, that would be difficult. But you know what? You can only do that if you have the love of God in you. That's it. That's only possible when you have the Spirit of God in you. And you take it to prayer. You take it to the Lord in faith. There's a process. You, you, we realize who we are that we're sinners, saved by grace, and if it were not by grace, what am I? I'm very guilty of the same thing. And so, blessing and cursing cannot be from the same mouth. That's what Jesus says. When somebody does you wrong or falsely accuses you or persecutes you, the same fountain can't bring forth bitter and sweet water. Uh, it can't bring forth fresh and salt water. So what does it tell us? It tells us that we are to bless them, not curse them. And I know that that is an amazing lesson. That's James chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. But that's who our Christian character is to be. And so that's what... Um, you know, so this text is, this is hard in our lives because it goes against our instincts. I know it would go against every inch of my instinct. I know it goes against every inch of your instinct. Um, now, I do know that we're not to be doormats either. We're not to, if a, I'm sorry, but if somebody breaks into my home and threatens my family with weapons, I'm not just to leave the door open for them and do whatever they want either. Uh, I believe that we are to protect our own. We're, if we're to feed our own, we're to protect our own, too. God gives us healthy instincts as well. Um, so as far as protection. And, but uh, So again, we're not to be doormats, but um, we are not to return evil with evil. So, you know, we're not to go and do the same thing that they did. So verse 14, bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Uh, verse 15, rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. So this, the same mind is the word of fellowship. It's a fellowshipping word, having that in common. We are in the same things regarding the words of God. But pride is what disrupts this. 
Pride disrupts us having the same mind in verse 16. And that's why he says to condescend to men of low estate. And what that is, is be content. And we talked about all last week, being content. Uh, to speak and be content being asked to take the low seat, you know, the lower rank, that we condescend to men of low estate, that being asked to step down or being asked uh, to, you know, as the Word of God tells us, to take the lower seat, it's better to take the lower seat and ask to be brought up than it is to take the higher seat and ask to be brought down. And so when we condescend that we go down to the men of low estate, that means in our humility, our meekness. Um, you know, if the Lord is going to use me, he's going to use me. But I'm not here to show you all the tricks I've got. But if the Lord wants to use me, I'm, I'm going to be used by him. And I'll give him all the praise and the glory. I promise you that um, I'm not trying to say that I'm, I'm awesome or anything. What, what is it, the guy, the, a guy got an award for being the most humble, and he got an award, and it was a button, and he wore this uh, award on his coat, and then his prize was revoked because he wore the button, I'm the most humble, on, on, his, on his coat. He was asked to get the reward back. Uh, so I'm not saying any of those things, but it, you know what I am saying is uh, I know enough about my strengths and weaknesses that uh, when I was called to preach, uh, I was a Moses. I was definitely a Moses. Why, why me, Lord? You've got a hundred people I know of off the top of my head that can talk better than me, that are smarter than me, that are more charismatic than me, and, you know, have all of those kind of qualities that you see in polished uh, pastors and preachers, and why me, Lord? So, uh, you know, and the Lord will use you when you have that attitude, but you have to believe. At the end of the day, it's faith. Lord, I, don't, I know I can't do it, but I'm going to believe you can. And so I'm going to go. I'm going to step out in faith and do what you told me to do, knowing that I know I can't, but I know you can. That's, that is the attitude to take when we condescend the men of low estate, think yourself lower. Remember before he says not to think ourselves higher than we ought to think. Let your mind go to of men of low estate. And that's what he says in verse 16, be not wise in your own conceits. And Proverbs 3, 7, you don't have to turn there. It says, be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. That's what that be not wise in your own conceits is. If you write down uh, verses next to that, Proverbs 3, 7 says, be not wise in thine own eyes eyes. That's something? I think you can meditate on that for the next three days. You just leave here, you know, okay, we're done. Let's just stop there and let's, let's think about that for a minute. How many ways, you know, it's easy to, to read, but when uh, we meditate on the Word of God, I love what Charles Spurgeon said. It's, you know, when we bring in the Word of God, we bring it into our mouth, we're chewing on it, we're chewing on it, but really the nutrients and the benefits of what you're eating does not really help you until you've swallowed it and you start digesting it. And uh, honestly, that's why a lot of, I'm kind of the same way as I'm not a big fan of reading the Bible through in a year, 
because you may be going too fast through some of it that needs to kind of be slow. Some of it you can go fast, uh, but like Proverbs. I mean, just you could spend a lot of verse a day on Proverbs and Psalms. Very deep things and profound that the, the, the Lord has put in here to help us. But be not wise in thine own eyes. And, uh, you know, so many times we go to people instantly. Like, I know that's what Billy Bob's doing. He's definitely one of those guys who's wise in his own eyes. And then we forget to think, to evaluate ourselves. Where am I being wise in my own eyes? Um, recompense, verse 17, to no man evil for evil, provide things honest in the sight of all men. So here we have gone from love, that general exhortation of love and being kind, and now in verses 17 through 21, now we're going to the aspect of let's not retaliate towards one another or towards our enemy. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Now, if you were with us on Wednesday, you remember that word vengeance? How we had to translate it in Acts to justice. Remember that he had said vengeance and he, was, he meant justice. Vengeance is mine. Justice is the Lord's. The Lord knows the injustice against us. And justice, he... he is the one who judges with all things righteously. He knows the context. He knows the background. It's so easy for us to jump to conclusions because we don't have the full story. But God does. Verse 20, Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in, do in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, I want to say this, the, while the Christian cannot prevent some people being enemies to them, we can prevent being an enemy to them. While we cannot prevent people being enemies to us, we can prevent being enemies to them. That's what that means. We're not to be passive to evil, but we are to return it with good. Now think about that. Think about all the behavior that we read here in chapter 12. And who does that point to? Who does that point to as far as what are we doing? We are reserving our own actions and trusting in God to take the right actions, aren't we? Let, don't be vengeful. God says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. But what are we to be? We're to be a testimony of Jesus Christ and the grace of God. That he has come to save sinners, and Paul says, in whom I am chief. Uh, Paul did some pretty wicked things. And Paul, you know, 
I believe that's why you see grace drip from, you know, we know the, the word of God is inspired, but I honestly believe Paul had a, a relationship with grace. I mean, you would have to have had the life of Paul to have had that deep love and relationship with grace that Paul had too. Now, we all can have that deep relationship of grace because we all know we're sinners who do not deserve to be forgiven and have mercy, but God has chosen to have mercy and to save us, to send a Savior to save us from the penalty of our sins. And chapter 13, he's not finished with love. It keeps going. Love is going to be at the foundation, the undercurrent that we're going to see of our activities in life as Christians. Remember, we've gone on to the practical. What's going to be the fuel I mean, first you need to be saved. You have to have the Holy Spirit in order to even live a victorious Christian life. Um, but then we must understand the essentiality, the concentration of love. Of love. It's preeminent. It's dominant. Jesus talked about it. The, the law of Christ is built upon it. And that's where we need to be concentrating on. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time of study. Lord, we pray that you'll just teach us by your word. Father, if there's one that will be here today that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, Father, that even the day that you'll save them, you'll quicken their hearts, that you will open their eyes, that they will see their great need and turn to you in repentance and faith and belief upon you that you died for their sins and that today they can be saved. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us and all that you provide. We pray for those who are not able to be here, who want to be here, and to be with them. And Father, we ask your blessings upon the remainder of the day. In Jesus' name, amen.